0: The sermon I am about to read is from the hand of Pastor Rob Schutten of the Canadian Reformed Church at Aldergrove, B.C. It was delivered there on September 6th of 2015 and has this text, 1 Samuel 14, verses 1 through 15. Let's read that once more. One day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come. Let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the Pomegranate cave at Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord at Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on the one side and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of the one was Bozes and the name of the other Sina. The one crag rose up on the north in front of Michmash and the other on the south in front of Geba. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of, this, of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us For nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor-bearers said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hand. And this shall be the sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor-bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor-bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan and his armor-bearer killed them after him. And that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor-bearer made, killed about twenty men within, as it were, half a furrow's length in an acre of land. And there was a panic in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked, and it became a very great panic." After the sermon, we will sing the remaining two verses of Psalm 110. Congregation of Jesus Christ. The first book of Samuel tells us the story of the first king of Israel. This king was Saul, and it turns out that he was just a regular political kind of guy. For Saul, politics and power was one thing, And faith in the Lord was something separate from all of that. Integrating the exercise of political and military power with faith in the God of the covenant never really happened in the rule of Saul. At crucial moments in his career as Israel's king, it is apparent that Saul was more about Saul than he was about God. It's not that Saul completely forgot about God, but rather that God was never central for Saul. God was a factor in his life, but only that. Just one factor among many others, including the personal opinion of Paul and what was politically expedient in his mind. Here's the problem in Saul's life. When God is not everything to us, but only one factor, then we're not really letting him be God, are we? The fact is, God does not allow Himself to be only one factor among many. He wishes to be supreme in our lives, and He desires that His word would be preeminent over our own human opinions. By the time we come to chapter 14 of 1 Samuel, God has already made clear that Saul's kingship would not be the start of a dynasty. Saul would be a one off king in his family. Because of his failure to truly hallow the name of God in his kingship, the Lord would not allow any son of Saul to succeed him on the throne. God is about to set aside Saul, who was a people's choice, in order to make room for the man of his own choosing, who would be David. Today, however, in chapter 14, we are still in the time of Saul. The Lord is moving toward a new king among his people, And today we get a foretaste of what the new era would be like. Jonathan, son of Saul, is a key person in the transition from Saul to David. This morning, scripture points us to the encouraging faith of Jonathan. Jonathan's actions in our text show that he was truly a man of faith. Our theme this morning, through the audacity of faith, the Lord delivers his people from their enemies. So again, through the audacity of faith, the Lord delivers his people from their enemies. Congregation, 1 Samuel 14 is a long chapter about a, a time long ago. As we read this passage, we might be thinking, what spiritual benefit could there be in it for us and our children as we try to serve God in the present time? We begin to sense the power of this story when we realize that throughout history God has one people. This means that the God of 1 Samuel 14 is our God and the people of 1 Samuel 14, well these are our people. The implication is that these wars here in 1 Samuel 14 are our wars. We no longer fight for the Lord with sword and shield but we do fight and here in 1 Samuel 14 we learn something about the spiritual warfare to which God has called us. So what's happening here in this part of the history of the wars of the Lord? In the first section of this chapter, the focus is not on Saul, but on the son of Saul, named Jonathan. Right from the start, this young man captures our admiration. We admire him because he's such a firm believer in Yahweh, the God of Israel. In fact, Jonathan is such an admirable person that we could be thinking he'd make make a very fine king for God's people, Israel. He has what you'd want to see in a leader of the people or for the people of God. We recognize faith in his heart. We see courage in his actions. We see the God-given ability to initiate. Aren't those the virtues we'd love to see in Israel's ruler? Of course, we already know that Jonathan won't be the king of Israel. (coughs) due to God's judgment on the house of Saul in chapter 13. But if Israel will ever have a new king, he's going to have to be a man like Jonathan. And because Jonathan is so strongly aware of the presence and the power of God, he is not paralyzed with fear by the Philistines. When this young man looks up to the Philistine garrison on the hillside, he doesn't see a hopeless situation. Instead, he sees an opportunity why? Not because Jonathan thinks he's a pretty, that he's pretty good with the sword, but because Jonathan thinks God is amazingly powerful. Jonathan isn't awestruck by the Philistines who are controlling Israel, but he's very much in awe of God. With a heart filled with reverence for the greatness of the Lord, Jonathan looks at the Philistine garrison at the top of the pass, and he figures that with God's help, they can take it out. Listen again to his words in verse 6. Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. You see, Jonathan knows how awesome the power of the Lord is. If the Lord desires to rescue his people, he can do so. If it's time for them to be delivered... God can do that with a thousand men, or a hundred, or one, or none at all, because he's God Almighty. Nothing can hinder God from accomplishing his goals. Focusing on God's amazing power gives Jonathan an audacity that people who do not have faith can't understand. Instead of being paralyzed by fear, Jonathan decides to put himself out there, to think big and to try big things for the Lord's people. However, it's important to see that Jonathan's audacity is tempered by humility. This Old Testament brother of ours is ready to try big things for the Lord and his people, but he does not presume on God. It's not as though Jonathan thinks this little raid he's planning on the Philistines has a guarantee of success. He doesn't say the Lord will for sure work for us. Instead, he says, it may be that the Lord will work for us. That's a really big difference, don't you think? Faith has confidence in God, but faith never presumes on God. Faith realizes that there can be failures in the wars of the Lord. It may be that our plans don't coincide with God's plans. He may allow us to experience setbacks instead of victory. The fact is that we just don't know beforehand how things will turn out in any venture that we undertake for the Lord and for His church. So, when you know that God is Almighty, but you don't know God's plan in detail, how does this affect your life? Do you know what this means? It means that you will put yourself out there. You will take challenges. You will accept risks. You won't be easily intimidated by the powers of evil in the world and in your life. Instead of just living passively and accepting failure and defeat, you will say, It may be that the Lord will work in me and through me if I try this. Yes, it may be. How will you know if you don't try? Nothing ventured, nothing gained. The important thing is to put yourself in a place where God can use you. It may be that my neighbor is a fervent atheist, but I know that God can conquer even the most stubborn heart. So when I have a chance, I will speak a word of him to him of witness. Who knows what God will accomplish through my words of faith? It may be that the majority of people in our country accept abortion on demand. But we know that if God wishes to renew our society, He is fully able to do so, and therefore we will keep bearing witness to God as the author and Lord of human life. People of faith are not intimidated by the culture. They say, We will work for changing the culture and changing the law. We will work sacrificially and relentlessly for the honor of God, for it may be that the Lord will work for us, whether through many or, by f- or through few. When you think of the sheer craziness of evil that is sweeping over our country, you might think that it's time for Christians to just bunker down. Instead of speaking out, it might seem better to just keep silent. Who are we, seemingly small in number, to stand up against the cultural juggernaut that is sweeping over our nation? Why bother with ARPA? Why work for the cause of life? Why bother resisting euthanasia? Why stand up to those who want to silence us? Isn't it futile to resist? There's no guarantee that God will bring immediate immediate success in this or that particular venture, but that doesn't matter. What matters is that we put ourselves out there, that we make the case, that we fight the fight, For it may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. Our culture has changed very rapidly. It is no longer possible to be a comfortable Christian in Canada. Powerful currents in our society press us to be ashamed of the gospel. Ashamed of our faith and what it teaches about origins, about the sanctity of life in all stages and conditions about gender and about marriage being the union of man and woman as husband and wife in a lifelong bond. These cultural powers insist that the Church's teacher teachings are out of date, lacking compassion, and that they are, in fact, bigoted and even hateful. We all feel the pressure to yield. We are threatened with consequences if we refuse to call what is good evil and what is evil good. We are commanded to conform our thinking to the orthodoxy of our culture, or keep silent. Jonathan looked up the cliffs and saw the Philistines controlling the pass. We look around in our society and we see that enemies of Christian values are sitting in the gates. They control the media, the universities, the courtrooms, the boardrooms, and apparently the law societies. How do we feel when we look at these things? Do we feel overwhelmed? Do we want to run away and hide? Or do we feel stirring in us the audacity of faith? If Jonathan could demonstrate audacity of faith long ago, how much more should that be the case for us? Jonathan lived in the age of promise and waiting. Israel and the world were waiting for the Messiah to come. In the fullness of time, Messiah did come. He was baptized in the River Jordan, at which time he was filled with the Spirit, and then in the strength of the Spirit he began his spiritual warfare. He came to set free those in captivity to Satan. He came to deliver those in bondage to sin. He came to a world filled with darkness to let the light of grace and truth shine. He came, says 1 John, to destroy the works of the devil. Congregation, we live in the age of fulfillment. We live after the cross and the resurrection. The good news of God's victory over sin and Satan and death has been proclaimed to us. Jesus has conquered evil. The outcome is not in doubt. Satan is a defeated foe. The world has been reclaimed by God. The church is being gathered from all nations. The enemies we face are defeated enemies. The power they seem to have is but an illusion. We are not the servants of a Christ who is still trying to get dominion over the world. He is already the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. He's ascended into heaven and from the right hand of God he rules. Yes, he rules and he bestows his spirit upon us so that we might fight the wars of the Lord in our time. You see, we don't have to achieve victory. That's already been done. We only have to stand where Christ has placed us. We stand fast. We use the shield of faith. We wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so we keep saying, let us do this thing. Let us try this project. Let us speak to this unbeliever. Let us remind our elected leaders that they are accountable to Christ the King. Let us consult with our MP or MLA, and let us write our letter to the editor. Let us indeed take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, out of its sheath, and let us show the world its glitter, for it may be that the Lord will work with us. Sometimes, of course, we will be disappointed. We will try something new for God's kingdom. We'll put ourselves out there, take the risks, tackle the challenge, only to see our work seemingly come to nothing. That happens quite a lot in our Christian lives. It can tempt us to be quitters. But God says, keep trusting me. Keep moving on in faith. Keep taking those risks. Be ready to get out of your comfort zone. Don't try to live a safe, carefree life, where you never could get into trouble. Look for new ways. Keep trying. Keep looking. You may get hurt in the process of bearing witness to me, but let that not silence you. Just keep bearing witness. Do that until you die. Here in our text today, we see how God was pleased to use the faith initiative of Jonathan to accomplish an amazing deliverance. The Philistines at the top of the pass were not really expecting anything from the Hebrews. They were probably playing cards and drinking beer and eating pizza to pass the time. What was there to be worried about? These people were completely in control of the situation. Israel was in complete subjection to the Philistines. The pagans were complacent in their power. Nonetheless, Jonathan and his armor-bearer went up the steep wall of the pass and attacked the Philistines. Twenty Philistine soldiers were soon dead, and pretty soon a general panic ensued among the enemies of Israel. The enemies of Israel thought that they were getting attacked by a large fighting force, and they ran away in terror and confusion. Before long, Jonathan was joined by his father Saul and his 600 men, and now the battle really went against the Philistines. The Lord saved Israel that day. Do you see what can happen when people act in faith? When you really believe in God, when you expect great things from Him and just set out to do whatever your hand finds to do, then amazing things can happen. God can give victory, and that can inspire the rest of God's people to join you in the great struggle against sin and Satan and the world Just when the enemies of the church seem to be most in control, the Lord can give deliverance. It may seem that we Christians are on the wrong side of history. That's what our unbelieving neighbors will tell us. The people who pay big fines for not wanting to bake a cake for a homosexual wedding. The man facing huge fines and prison time because he handed out tracts to homosexual men. The lady in Toronto who had been jailed for 10 years because she keeps protesting abortion in a place where the law says she can't. All these folks are on the wrong side of history, so the media tells us with confidence. But we know that they are not. We know that they are fighting the good fight of the faith. And we don't know yet what God will accomplish through them and through thousands of others who are standing firm. They have audacious and tenacious faith. They are not ashamed of the gospel. God can do great things through them. Their actions today can have consequences that we cannot foresee. It may be that God is using them to advance his kingdom in amazing ways. What matters, congregation, is not whether God gives us victory in this present age. What matters is that we put ourselves out there. If we do, it may be that God will graciously bless our endeavors. It may be that our stance will prove to be a turning point, as was the courageous initiative of Jonathan. One thing you can be sure of, when you act in faith, God's name will be honored and his kingdom will come through you. Your testimony will not be in vain. Let me close with the perspective of the last day of the world. When the final victory of Christ comes at the end of this age, one thing alone will matter. Was I I a faithful witness to the gospel? Did I do everything in my power to promote the truth? We will all stand before God's only begotten Son, and he will want to know from us whether we sought the truth with a pure and sincere heart. He will inquire whether we sought to live the truth authentically and with integrity. He will ask whether we stood up for the truth, speaking it loud and in public, even when there are difficult consequences. Let us reflect on these matters and pray for the grace to demonstrate in our lives the audacity of faith. Amen.